This is episode 76 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 76 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Manny Cabral on the show and Manny, for those who don't know him, he also goes by Emmanuel, that's his given name. Manny is one incredible real estate investor and he's got his hands in just about everything. He runs Primo Reno, which is a renovation company, does a lot of duplex conversions in the Hamilton area as well as in the Simcoe County, which includes Barrie and several other towns. And Manny considers himself to be one of the biggest operators in the Hamilton area. Yet on top of that, he's also flipping properties and making $100,000 plus per flip. He's papering neighborhoods and finding off-market deals. And of course, he's running his company up there to renovate his own renovations. Manny has many different hobbies. He likes to boat. He likes to uh, play music. And we had a great conversation today. Got very real about some of the challenges in the industry, how the virus lockdown has affected his business and his outlook for going forward. Uh, It was a really great interview and I'm confident you're going to get a lot out of it. Before we get into it, as you know, it's a really good idea if you have not already to go right back to the early episodes of this podcast, right back to episode one, right through 15 to 20. Uh, Those are the episodes where we really dug into the numbers hard. I posted a lot of the spreadsheets right on the videos. If you're on the YouTube version, you can actually see the numbers. Um, Of course, I have my cash flow spreadsheet available on my website if you would like to grab it at andrew-hines.com forward slash cash flow. These are just different tools that you can use to help you in your real estate estate investing journey. I do want to ask that if you're enjoying and getting value out of this podcast, that you please share it with somebody you think it could help. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe wherever it is you listen. And if you would be so kind, I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, please enjoy episode 76 with Manny Cabral. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Manny Cabral on the podcast. Manny, thanks so much for being here. No, you're welcome. First off, Manny, I know we've never actually spoken in person. So um, my understanding is you uh, you do a lot of renovations, a lot of duplex conversions, and you're helping a lot of investors as well. But uh, you could probably say it a lot better than I can. So uh, why don't you just tell us what you do? Yeah, we do a little bit of everything. I mean, we own uh, Primo Reno, which is specializes in uh, legal income property renovations. So we do a ton of that stuff throughout Hamilton. Um, I'd probably like to say that we're probably one of the biggest out in the Hamilton area. Uh, for second street conversions we're doing uh, and we do so i specialize in hamilton and simcoe county that's where i have uh, my two teams of, of of doing that type of work um we also do custom home renovations not just second street renovations mm-hmm. and i'm also a house flipper so we own simcoe house buyers and we do a lot of flip properties as well um and we also do a lot of joint venture partnerships where you know we we look after everything it's basically a hands-free uh, investment for our joint venture partners when it comes to second suite uh, projects. So a little bit of everything. Yeah, you're, you weren't kidding. That that really is yeah. uh, pretty much everything. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. First thing I'll point out is, so Simcoe County, that's Barrie. Is that, that's where you live, right, Barry? Yeah, I'm up in Simcoe County. And, uh, okay. and that's where I tend to, I've done, I've bought properties out in Hamilton as well. But I'm focusing more on advertising up in Simcoe because I find it easier for me to manage. Um, yeah. I'm finding a little bit better deals up here. Uh, so I, I do a lot of off market marketing with, you know, with all kinds of mailers and I got YouTube ads going and Google, uh, AdWords and all that stuff. So I'm constantly fielding calls yeah. from sellers who, 
you know, the stress sellers is basically what we're looking for. People whose homes need a lot of work or they need to get out quickly. Yeah. I buy everything off market, but I sell everything obviously on MLS because that's uh, where you're going to get the money. Um, that's where you get a bigger dollar. Yeah. yeah. Tell, if you don't mind, I mean, it's been a yeah. while since we've talked about yeah. these off market strategies, you know, where, well, first off, like where, when did you start doing that? Why'd you start doing that? And, uh, I guess the, the why you sort of answered there, but, yeah. uh, you know, where, where you got the confidence to pursue it. Um, you know, w- what ex- expertise were you drawing on? Did you have somebody helping you with that? Well, I didn't have expertise in the marketing. I mean, I do in the renovation side, cause I've been doing that all my life. So mm-hmm. renovations for me are a snap. I'm in my carpenter by trade and I've been doing it, like I say, for most of my life since the age of 19. So, I mean, I could typically walk into a house, walk around and, I don't need to call a bunch of subtrades. I know that house is going to cost within mm-hmm. 10% margin. I know exactly what it's worth. So I'm really good at pinpointing a number. Mm-hmm. Um, I focused a lot on Simcoe County because I got to know the market and the neighborhoods up here. So I could basically drive down a neighborhood. I know what that house is worth. I know what it's going to resell for. So I'm really good at those numbers. So it's really easy for me. Okay. I probably started doing that, uh, I'm guessing, about a year and a half ago because we were so busy in, in the construction side of things. Um, but back then we were still doing some flips like out in Hamilton. We, I actually bought a few properties legally second suite of them and sold them on spec even before they were closed to other investors. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had properties where I've called, you know, our, our agent up and said, Hey, we've, you know, we're buying this property and we're going to second suite it. And this is what we're going to need to call your network. And basically that property was sold so quick. It's crazy. Would there these are, have been like on the mountain duplexes yeah, in Hamilton? On the mountain. And again, they're all off market. Yeah. Uh, you know. So what would, uh, I've heard people getting appraisals into the ballpark of uh, 630 up to 650. Uh, oh, I absolutely. Mean, absolutely. That's, that's not fresh information anymore. I think that, yeah. I think that is probably getting pushed even further. Um, well, I, I think so. My last one was appraised. Well, our last one we sold at 610. It was appraised for 610. So that okay. was our last second suite conversion. That's going back. That last one that I sold is going back uh, early this year, I think February okay. or so. Do you still own anything in Hamilton? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got, yeah. I got rental properties in Hamilton, and I have them also up here in Simcoe. Yeah, what's your portfolio look like right now? Um, a little bit less than before because I've sold a couple of properties, but we've, I've probably got, included with joint venture partners and on my own, probably about uh, – I'd say about 40 doors right now. Okay. So yeah. no slouch. You're well, you're well established. No, no, no. We're, we're getting there, but uh, yeah. yeah, flips, the flips is what I'm concentrating on a lot. That's been my biggest profit margin so far has been house flips. Well, why that, why flips and, and, uh, and not just more buy and holds. Is it just because the cash flow is so tight on the refis when you're doing well, burrs? I, well, I do a little bit of both. I mean, I, I need yeah. an active income as well. Sure. Uh, okay. Right. And I don't do flips to make 10 or 20 grand. I know some guys will go into a flip if, you know, if they got that, they're going to make $30,000 and I don't, my flips have to be well worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to give up that type of income, especially, especially buying it below market where I'm buying yeah. it. I mean, I've done flips where I've literally this year, have not lifted a paintbrush, which is crazy. Like literally just buying it off market, putting it on MLS and three days later getting stupid yeah. money and multiple offers selling it as a handyman special. And that's, uh, I, that's amazing. It's, so, it's, I've, I've probably did the last three properties I did like that. I mm-hmm. averaged about 120,000 per property. 
just literally so just just it. literally flipping it right back not even working flipping on it right it. back not even touching it yeah yeah you're plan, right and, and the plan is always to go in i mean when i buy a property i always got a strategy right so i know what I'm, my mm-hmm. renovation costs are going to be what i'm going to sell it for but because of covid19 it was so little on the market it was nothing for sale and when i did the research and the properties i were buying you know, i basically told my agent you know what you've got three days to sell this thing if it doesn't sell i want to back off the market because i want it stale and we're going to go and renovate it but yeah. every time we put it on the market bang just multiple offers uh, it's, it's, it was insane. Now, I mean, there's so many, so many questions to ask. I should be taking notes here, but, uh, you know, the first one is, is do you find value in still renovating it when you're getting like 120,000 to, to do, to do, no. uh, really not, not anything? Um, no. like, why would you renovate it in, in most cases and, and, and how much value do you find in your, your projects where you have to do the renovation? Well, in, in a crazy market like this, those properties didn't make sense to renovate. Uh, so, I mean, I, I worked all that out uh, before we put it back on a market. There's certain properties yeah. that do make sense. Like I'm working on a flip right now in Midland. It's a small house. I think if I put it back on a market, I'm not going to, you know, I might come out with 20 or 25 grand. Yeah. I know if I actually do the renovations that I'm doing now, I'll probably come out with 75 grand. So that's, you know, that weighs out the, you know, oh, putting okay. back on a market. right? So I, I don't think every single property is going to work. I just got lucky with the properties that I did buy. They yeah. did work. So it's, it's a little bit of both, but I try to work out my strategies uh, before I get into an innovation game and mm-hmm. figure out whether I'm going to put the money in, not put the money in and also wholesale. I'm also wholesaling properties as well. Just doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain properties where, uh, you know, I look at it as well and say, is it worth wholesaling that and making this figure or do I renovate it? Um, and some of those properties I've wholesaled. Yeah. Well, I can, I can definitely, uh, see the reason to, to just wholesale them out. Cause I, you know, yeah. I own my own construction company. I know what a pain it can be to, uh, to get into mm-hmm. the renovations. Um, I assume you have a much bigger team than I do. So, uh, it's probably a lot easier for you. Cause that's, that's a big part of your business, uh, being that you're, you're number one in Hamilton. Um, and it, well, it, I don't know if I'm actually number one. I think I am. I think potentially I'm number one. <laughs> I, I think I've done more second suite projects out there yeah. than anybody else. Uh, I mean, I yeah. can't say that for a fact, but I mean, people tell me that I probably am. Uh, yeah, probably the biggest volume second suite uh, construction company out there. You know, I tended to focus out there. You know, a few years ago, so it's uh, it works out quite well. And mm-hmm. I probably turn down more work than I take because there's only so much I can take, right. and I've got you know clients calling me actually from outside of Hamilton, which I won't service. I get calls from St. Catharines and Kitchener and I'm just not going to go out there. Yeah. Um, I want to focus in the cities where I can service my clients very well. I mean, I usually have a time frame, and I try to meet those time frames. And if I can't meet the time frame, I'm just honest with the client and saying, listen, I, I can't meet that time frame. You're either going to have to wait or you've got to find someone else. The worst thing you can do is take on a job and say, oh yeah, I can get it, get a deposit. And then you don't do it. Then you're running behind. It just gives you a bad name, right? So taking on too much work can really hurt you if you can't service those clients. Yeah. I feel like every contractor does that when they're getting started. I've dealt with that so many times. So many people yeah. who've promised me they could and yeah. you know just couldn't. Yeah. Uh, you got to have the ability to pivot as an investor if you're kind of relying on people that way. Uh, unless you're working with somebody that uh, that gets it done every time. So uh, Manny, since we're on that topic, tell me a little bit about uh, the typical conversion. Um, what's going into it? What you're typically doing and, and what that typically costs for an investor? Yeah, we usually keep it standard. Like on all my stuff that I do, I keep my stuff standard. And I try to... I try to sway the uh, clients to do that as well, especially the ones that want to move on and get two or three or four units. Um, I mean, it's just typical, typical standard features down in a basement, your shaker style mm-hmm. cabinets. I do tend to use quartz in all my projects. 
because uh, I don't find it that much more expensive than the laminate. I think it, it, it gives it a much nicer look. Uh, you know, the luxury laminate flooring, um, you know, the, the typical stuff. There's really nothing really mm-hmm. big and special that goes on to it unless you're doing a custom home renovation. Yeah. Uh, but keeping it simple and keeping it, uh, keeping it consistent with colors and everything throughout makes it much easier to manage if you have multiple properties that you've got the same colors and the same right. type of trims and the same, it, it just makes a lot, a lot of sense. I do use the nicer trim, you know, the, the bigger trim. I don't use the, like the flat stock know, or yeah, flat stock, or I like to use, yeah. uh, the one, one step, uh, okay. base yeah. and all that stuff. So something that looks a little bit nicer, it's not that costly, but it just gives it that little bit more of a, of a wow factor when you come in and i think the quartz does that as well sure and when you come into the basement and you got quartz and, and it's not that expensive and it's spectacular you're just going to attract a different tenant right the nicer your place is the nicer tenant you're going to get which is the way i look at it so the way i you know if, if you're going to make somebody live in a basement you might as well make it a really nice basement because well, absolutely. A, you know people always will prefer to live above grade well not always yeah. some people like basements but generally will prefer above grade so so it's sweetening the pot and making it seem really nice to go downstairs I uh, could sure. help you. Uh, I take it you probably get into a lot of window uh, expansions, expanding windows down. Yeah, so that yeah, uh, yeah, we do that as we do all that ourselves in house now. Yeah, um, so you're probably doing that on most projects because yeah, feel like- oh yeah, well, most of them are all going to need an egress window. I don't think there's too many Hamilton bungalows out there that have windows big enough down in a basement that yeah, you know, that, that that pass for egress. So typically, pretty well every yeah. one of them. And then then you run into the odd situation where you need even an extra one for for natural lighting, right? Yeah. And I would be inclined, I know with my basement stuff, student rentals, whatever, uh, I just want to, if I have the opportunity and I'm already doing a pretty significant reno, I'd like to just throw in an extra, uh, an extra egress size window, even if I don't need it just to give them the light. It makes a big difference. We, we did one, I did one for myself up here, just a small one bedroom, but it had all small windows. The windows are great, but you know what, just by, I increased the size of every single window Mm -hmm. and it's made such a massive difference because now when you walk in that one bedroom unit, it actually looks bigger, but it's not. It's just got so much natural light. Yeah. So it, it really changes just, things. If you're planning on keeping something too, like yeah, having, having it done that way, just it's a no-brainer. It's just going to make your life so much easier when you're, oh, trying sure. to, uh, sure. when you're trying to rent it out. What are yeah. some other things? Like we have so many investors that get into this type of, uh, or are looking to get into this type of uh, investment strategy. What are some of the big cost drivers that you see, like the big things that people get into this and they maybe didn't realize that that was going to cost a lot of money? Um, you know, what should investors be looking for if they're thinking about getting into the conversion strategy? Well, I typically tell them, I typically give them a number. It's like, if you're not, if you're not ready to spend a hundred K, um, you know, in a complete brand new second suite conversion, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of them, I'll ask them what their budget is and they'll come out and say, well, my friend says I can do this whole second suite conversion for 30 grand. I'm like, well, I'm not the guy for you, <laughs> right? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta hire a friend. I mean, your big factors are electrical, and plumbing and HVAC, right? I mean, th- those are huge to do them properly, but especially if you're separating hydro and, and all that stuff, your 30 grand is already blown there. So I think some investors just don't read, it's not their fault. They just don't realize what the costs are. Uh, but typically these second suite conversions are coming in, you know, at about 85, 90,000 plus HST is what your right. average Hamilton. Now that's if you don't run into other issues, as we know, Hamilton, you know, with the fl- flooding and, and water issues and all the stuff that's out yeah. there. Some of these properties, you know, you pull back the drywall, and all of a sudden you got cracks everywhere. You see moisture that's coming in. You know, if your home inspector didn't catch it, so that's a costly item as well. If you got to get a rust proofing, yeah. I mean, yeah. waterproofing uh, roofs, those types of things. Are you typically doing uh, waterproofing where you're you're smashing up around the footing and, and putting in delta membrane? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the two ways of waterproofing your house, right? The right way is from outside. Yeah. Obviously, I always tell people inside uh, doing your internal weeper is great if you're trying to save cost and, and, and you just can't do it from the outside, whatever the reasons are. But let's not forget, when you have an internal, internal waterproofing system, you're not stopping water from entering your house. It's still entering your house. It's still getting through the block. Mm-hmm. It's, still creating, it's still creating erosion over years. It's just stopping at the inside of your house, inside of that membrane. That's yeah. all it's doing. It's basically a big, giant Band-Aid. I don't personally love them. I mean, and we've done them because sometimes you just don't have a choice. you got to do it. But the proper way to do that is 100% from the outside because mm-hmm. if you're stopping it at the source, your house is protected, and your block foundation wall is not going to continually get eroded. So pretty big cost yeah. difference between yeah. those, right? Digging up around the outside of oh, your... Oh, it's uh, probably du- double. Yeah. Close, close to double. It, it is. I've, I probably... I did one on one of my uh, student rentals, and I think it probably cost me, I don't know, between five, five and $8,000 to do it. Um, you know, having that basement already just, you know, just yeah. bare concrete walls. Yeah. But uh, yeah, had I, you know, had to do it outside, that would have been an entirely different story. And Oh, it's huge. Yeah, we're doing two of them right now from outside. Yeah. We're probably, I mean, one, one of them's 20 grand. Yeah. And that's not, not everyone's going to have budget for that. So for me on this property, it didn't have a block foundation. It was, it was a poured concrete foundation. It's just, I came to the point where I've seen enough basements get water in them that I just don't, unless there's some form of waterproofing, I almost don't even want to put anything, anything down there. Is that your philosophy generally, or, or will you still look at, you know, poured foundations without waterproofing? Uh, if they're in, you know, high elevation, you know, no trees around that kind of thing. Yeah. We've done tons of them without waterproofing especially the, the port foundations i mean we've we got one right now that we repaired a bunch of cracks it still didn't have any any water issues uh, you know looks like ever so I'm, i don't think we're going to spend the money doing anything on that one i mean it's, it's perfect it's never been a water issue and we did find cracks that also was not a water issue but we fixed them anyway just to get mm-hmm. all the cracks all done up so yeah there's uh, more times than not we're not doing waterproofing unless we okay. see an issue always making sure that, you know, the grading is property outside. And a lot of times you can solve those issues with grading and downspouts. I mean, I've seen yeah. tons of property, the water just building up against the house and there's your water problem, right? Yeah. I find trees to be a huge culprit if you got a tree 100%, over it. A hundred percent. So we look at the trees and even when it comes, even when it comes to plumbing with trees, we've got trees right in front lawn. Uh, I always like to camera and snake everything right down to the city to make sure that we're not dealing yeah. with any backups later on with roots and you know, once you finish your suite and all of a sudden you know everything gets flooded inside so always important to yeah. i mean you spend an extra 300 bucks to camera it and it's it's a great insurance policy well yeah but then you you got to keep up on that too right yeah. i have yeah. i have two properties in london where every year i have to auger out the uh the lines yeah or replace them but i mean the cheaper thing yeah. is to just keep augering them for now yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. So, so basically you said electrical is probably the number one driver then. So you're, it's 30,000. That's a, that's a well, lot. No, no, no. I'm talking about electrical and, and plumbing and HVAC. Oh, okay. So all those things and, together and, and, and yeah. all that stuff. I mean, if you look at your average, your average electrical second suite, if you're upgrading panels, I mean, you're getting in the, you're getting in that $12,000 range, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you have to separate all the circuits and then add, so, add two so, panels, so separate the circuits, add two panels, um, and, and then, then two services, it, two services. So it's, it's pretty costly. So okay. that, that's a, it's a costly item unless you're keeping the existing service, you're not separating panels and you're just going to do your 60, 40 mm-hmm. split. I mean, you know what, even when you separate your panels, you don't have a hundred percent separation. Let's face it. I mean, you got stuff like your air conditioning unit that's still running on one circuit. Oh right? yeah. That's a good right? point. Right. So a lot of people think, well, it's separated. Well, no, it's not. 
So, I mean, I just finished one of, of mine up here and I actually put a common meter on. So I've got three meters, mm-hmm. right? So the common meter's got the, the AC and it's got the furnace motor and it's got the exterior lighting. So everything else inside the house is 100% separated. But when you're doing just the two meters, you don't have 100% separation. And sometimes that causes a little bit of, of, a, of an issue with tenants where, you know, the basement guy in the summertime says, hey, why am I, why am, do I, I'm doing a 60-40 split? I don't even need AC in my basement. Cause it's freaking cold anyway. Yeah. Right. And in the wintertime that reverses with the, with, the, with the furnace. So I've got investors now saying, you know what, if I got to put a common meter on um, the common meter, you're not going to pass that on to, to the tenants separately. You're paying that, right? They, you got your two meters for the tenants. The common yeah. meter is part of your cost. So, I mean, if you're going to do that, you might as well do the 60, 40 split and not split anything. I don't know. It's, it's a half a dozen. Ones, yeah. To six or the other. I mean, it depends on, how you want to run your properties, how much admin you want and all that stuff. It's, it's very difficult to do unless you do complete, complete separate. Like we're doing one right now with a complete separate heating system. So we're doing double drywall in the basement, mm-hmm. but both units upstairs and down is going to have their own furnace, their own AC, their own everything. So it's a hundred percent separation. So, and I can see the benefits to doing that and I'll tell a story in a second, but uh, um, you can find furnaces small enough to, to just do a basement or are you doing like a ductless mini split or something like that? No, we're doing two full size furnaces, two full size furnaces. One are they the like basement, one in the main floor, like two stage furnaces that can run on yep. the first stage. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yep. you don't want them to run too short. I always hear HVAC no. guys say that you want to make no. sure that they get a, a good run uh, going. Yeah. And the other idea too, for, for that, I mean, it's not only the heating, heating is, is a very important factor, obviously, but sound is another very important factor. Yeah. Because let's face it, most of your sound travels through the heating system. Yes. So by, by doing your, your double rock saw and you're doing your double drywall with your soundproof glue mm-hmm. and all that stuff in two separate heating systems, you're basically sealing those two floors as much as possible. And it's still not 100% foolproof, yeah. but it's way better than having yeah. know, one heating system. If, now, for this particular project, like not every investor is going to do that, of course, because of cost. But for this particular pro- project, the owner is going to live upstairs. Oh, he yeah. wants to make sure he's got you know as much soundproofing as possible yeah. in his heating system. So he'll have separate separate gas, electric, and water. Every, everything, everything, everything's yeah. going to be separate. I have one that I, I I did in London, and uh, I built it in the backyard. So the second unit's actually in the backyard. So I right. separated. It, they got separate furnaces, separate electrical, everything. But water in London, it's forty seven dollars flat charge per month per meter. So yeah. I got the bright idea. Yeah. I got the bright idea. I just split it 60, 40 on the water because that's yeah. like 47 bucks. Like that's sometimes a person's whole month's usage. Oh, um, for sure. And uh, it's just been headaches. The one guy waters yeah. the lawn in his garden all the time, driving the, the, the bill up and, and then the other guy's not using much. So um, you know what? The admin side of it, as much as it's like 47 bucks a month would be nice for the tenants that make them pay anyway. Um, had a had, hindsight's 2020, I would have gone back. I would have just separated it and paid yeah. the 47 yeah. for the couple of months that it would have been in my name. Cause the tenants are never going to change their decision to rent that unit based on whether or not they pay their own water or have to reimburse. Yeah, no, but no, as a landlord, yeah. I'm quite irritated to do up yeah. this split and send it to them yeah. <laughs> and wait for them yeah. to pay me back. Yeah, no, it's yeah. annoying. So what I've done in the past with my 60, 40 splits on everything is, is I charge it monthly. So Basically, if the rent is fifty round off rent for fifteen hundred bucks, and if I think the uh, utilities of the house is three hundred dollars, I just put that sixty forty in a monthly basis. So it's fifteen hundred plus your sixty percent. Then I'll just reconcile once a, once every quarter, right? So if mm-hmm. you know if I've taken too much, I pay them back. If you know they owe me money, they, they you know yeah. So I do it that way. 
Yeah, yeah, I should have uh, should have positioned it that way from the beginning. So I got one guy in there, and he uh, he basically just uh, pays uh, pays every three or four months when I send him a reconciliation. But he fell yeah. behind a little bit with with the whole COVID thing, so kind of shot yeah. myself in the foot. But uh, live and learn. I mean, I would rather just avoid it. I'm a systems guy, and setting up a oh, system sure. where I have to be involved uh, is not yeah. really a system I like. There's got to be a no, better way no. than that. No, you gotta you gotta focus on where your time is, uh, you know, worth more, right? So absolutely, and, and it's not, and it's definitely not an admin. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of admin. No, I, really, really my, I hate it when it comes to accounting and admin. I cannot stand yeah. it. I'm just I, not. Just I more find myself just guy. wanting to tell people what to do these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you do that. Um, okay, tell me about uh, tell me about your marketing. I know you're doing you're doing uh, flyers to houses, probably through Canada Post. I'm assuming. Yeah, it's all through Canada Post. I just got a company that prints all my flyers. Uh, they send it to Canada Post and just do. Uh, I don't specifically target. I know some people will say, "Well, you know, you got to really target those areas." And I just, I just blast every postal code that I can in the areas that I want. I'm not going to spend the time trying to figure out that I hit the wrong house. And you yeah. know, I've got other people saying, "Well, you might hit an apartment building, and it's a waste of that." You know what? I've bought a house because I hit an apartment building because the guy lived in an apartment building, told his buddy yeah. who had a house, and I ended up buying his house. So for the extra cost, it's not a big deal. Um, I just blast it everywhere, and then I got a couple of YouTube ads that are constantly running. Okay. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think your son's pretty, uh, pretty handy with uh, digital marketing and, and such. Oh, Darren, Darren is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he helps me as much as he can. He's, he's extremely busy. So I try to, I try to do as much as possible on my own without bugging yeah. him. But of course, at times I have to say, you know what, I need you to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt to have somebody you know, close to you that knows what they're doing. And no, no, he's, he's really good yeah. at it. He's really good at it. So you're a pretty savvy guy. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so, are you on the tools anymore or are you mostly just, Oh no, I haven't been on the tools in years. I mean, the problem is if you're on the tools, you're, you, you've got a job. Yeah. Right. I mean, I want to, I'm working on the business and not in it. And yeah. So if I'm on the tools, how do I go out and find the next job? Talk to the clients and you, you just can't do that. Right. So, so it's very difficult. And I've got my older son who works for me full time and he's also not on the tools. Right. Yeah. So he's out in Hamilton every single day just managing the projects, making sure everything's going as smoothly as possible. I try to take care of everything up in Simcoe. And then once a week, I usually drive down to Hamilton and visit all the projects and just go through a little meeting and make sure everything's on track. But yeah. no, definitely not on the tools. I wouldn't be able to do or scale what I'm doing if I was on the tools. Well, yeah, I agree. It's, and, and I try and take that approach with, with what I'm doing. I have, uh, I have my full-time site supervisor at the one site I'm, I'm building out right now. And, yeah. you know, I've, it's always a, Hey, you know, Andrew, this is what I need. Well, I'm like, well, here's the phone number, you know, here's what I want you to do and make sure you yeah. get, get this result. And, um, trying to find a way more so to, to empower other people to get the answer, get the result. Oh, absolutely. I'd rather pay someone else to do that stuff mm-hmm. and, and me focus on buying the next property. Yeah. So where, where do like break me, break me down a day in the life of Manny. What, what are you doing on the average day? Oh my God. A lot. Number one, I'm answering a ton of emails because I still yeah. respond to all my clients uh, on their second suite projects. Um, I make myself available all the time. So I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I mean, Saturdays and Sundays, I'm still responding to emails yeah. and sometimes phone calls, uh, but that's okay. Um, so look, looking after my emails, I'm checking my marketing. I'm going through all my seller leads those really keep me busy because you know you're going to get a ton of seller leads that are a waste of time. Yeah. Right? So you got to siphon through these things. It's, it's phone calls. It's, it's trying to figure out which ones make sense, which ones don't. So you try to screen them all. 
Yeah. Right? And after that, it's trying to make appointments to, to get out and see these sellers, uh, yeah. visit my job sites at the same time in between, uh, make sure everything's running up here smoothly and in Simcoe. So, so it's pretty busy. I mean, I try to mix a little bit of fun with my work because I, mean, I love boating. So a lot of times I'll just grab my laptop and we head down to the boat, head out in the lake. So we're still having a little bit of fun. But uh, I'm still doing a little bit of work at the same time with, you know, talking to sellers mm-hmm. and going through all my leads and all that stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff that goes out throughout today. It's just, uh, it's pretty, it can get pretty busy. So it's not Which, boring, that's for sure. No, it doesn't sound like it. And I like, oh. see, I'm, I'm very much like that. Like I like to be able to get out, go to sites. I can't stay oh, yeah. inside all day long. No, I, I can't to, either. I can't. I mean, I've been up to Midland already today and, you know, check on my electricians, make yeah. sure everything's going good. I got a plumber coming in tonight. So I got to make sure everything is ready for him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on, on my way there, before I went there, I had to go to a seller's appointment. So I already sat down with that. Then I went to Midland. Now I'm back home doing the podcast and, uh, and I'm going to be answering a bunch of emails after this, getting ready for tomorrow. Okay. So a couple of questions for you here. Um, one, I want to dig in a little bit about these seller leads that you get. So you're posting YouTube ads, which I'm assuming are you talking saying, Hey, are you interested in selling? Um, both, both. I have actually one that's me and I actually have one that, uh, it's just an actor that we've got out of Fiverr to, to do an ad as well. Yeah. So just... they, they, they sort of alternate. Yeah. So what happens is, uh, they, they, they look at the ad and if they're interested, they, it's got a link yeah. to my website. So they click on a website, which is simplehousebuyers.ca. And at that point, they can fill in all their information. They can upload pictures to their property. Uh, they can check out exactly who we are and what we do, what the process is. Yeah. Um, flyers, the same thing. It refers them to the website or a phone number. Uh, that goes to Simco House Buyers, which will also give them information to a website. Or they can leave a, a message. Oh, okay. So you give them both options on the flyer. They've, you know. they've got both options. Yeah. Both options. Do you do a nice flyer or an ugly one? No, I think it's a pretty, uh, I don't think it's an ugly flyer. If you want to wait a minute, I can grab one from my office and show it to you. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. Yeah, I'd love to okay, see hold, it. Hold on a second. Let's yeah. see if I've got one down here. Watch okay. your headphones. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah, that's nice. But oh, I, don't so you, do, I don't do the handwritten ones. No, okay. So basically. Yeah, that's classy. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And, and at the top, but stands out as get paid 1500 right? So the whole idea with that is you, we know what happens with flyers and they go to someone's house, they, they get tossed yeah. in the garbage right away. So I'm trying to get some shelf life by putting get paid 1500 on it. So yeah. when they read that, I'm like, oh, what's that all about? And I mean, even though they don't want to sell their house, if they end up finding someone or have a friend who may want to sell their house and they refer me to them and I buy it, well, I'm going to give them 1500 bucks. Right, right. So, and I've done that a couple of times. So I do get calls from neighborhoods that I've mailed out months ago because people just keep them and eventually mm-hmm. call me and say, Hey, I got your flyer, you know, a while back. And so the whole idea is to try to get that shelf life and try to stop them from throwing in the garbage as soon as they pull it out of the mailbox. Right. Right. And there is a lot of mail going out about this kind of oh, thing. So, and yeah. we're not the only, we're not, I'm not the only guy doing that. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. as we know, there's a lot of guys doing that. A lot of them a lot bigger than I am because they're, they focus a lot on wholesale and I don't, I don't focus totally on wholesaling. So I don't have this whole team, you know, with acquisition managers and disposition managers. I basically try to do everything myself, but I am looking now to probably hire on a manager that can do both acquisition and disposition because I'm finding a lot of times I get leads because I'm busy. I get leads that I probably don't follow up hundred percent on and may lose out on. And, and the reason I lose out on it is because I know 
that those wholesale deals are probably going to be, uh, you know, maybe up to a $10,000 wholesale fee or something. And for me, it's not worth it. I can't spend that time on that, trying to chase it down. Right. Uh, I'm chasing down the bigger deals. But if I've got somebody strictly working on commission, they can chase down everything, right? So I probably yeah. don't get deals because the margins are too small and I just don't have the time to chase them. So that makes sense though. Yeah. Cause you're in it for like a hundred thousand dollar flip. You don't want, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I can't be spending days and days going back and forth with a seller, you know, that I know, I know I can, I know I can probably wholesale that house to someone else for 10 G's, but do I have the time? And a lot of times is no, I don't have the time because I'm working on much bigger deals. But if I got hire someone full time, that's the plan now is to hire someone full time yeah. to look after all the leads coming in. Yeah. Right. So I'll be able to, cause there, there, there's definitely deals that I, haven't bought because of that yeah. and i've actually seen some other wholesalers buy those deals that i could have bought first because i recognize the deals when they come through on the buyer's list oh man that must be so frustrating that's I did. yeah but they have time to do it <laughs> yeah. and, and i don't because i'm chasing the yeah. bigger deals i'm not after the five or ten thousand dollar acquisition fees well that makes total sense you've got your model um now is your messaging flyer and and on youtube ad is all the same you're talking about getting Consistent. paid first you're yeah. talking about getting paid Consistent. yeah and then, and then, or if you're looking to sell, you can contact me as well. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. They're, okay. They're, and then people just go in. Yeah. They're, they're pretty consistent. Okay. And then, so from there you get, you know, say you're spending, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars a month. Is that reasonable? Oh, uh, I spend more than that. I probably spend from, and I'm a small guy, so I'm probably spending about five grand a month. And most of that's YouTube cost? Uh, YouTube and it's probably a little bit more than that, including YouTube. Oh, so you're just talking, that's just flyers, five grand a month. And then you add YouTube on top. Yeah, you're, you're probably, I would say about seven grand a month. Yeah. And are you hitting, so you're just hitting the geographic area of, of, uh, Simcoe. like Simcoe County just yeah. as a whole pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's nice, like a lot of people would want just Barry or something like that, but the fact that you're willing to kind of go outside of that and, and do other oh, for areas. Sure. I mean, I mean, yeah. Simcoe, I mean, Simcoe is a large area, but I mean, I'm only 45 minutes to to, to Midland. I'm only, you know, 35 minutes to Aurelia. And, mm-hmm. and those are still great towns to, to profit in. So I'm not going to. Okay. So you, you've got yourself down. lots of opportunity. Oh, so, yeah. so if you spend that, you spend that seven grand, like how many, how many leads are you getting on a monthly basis? Would you say ballpark? I would say every, I'm getting a lot of leads. How many am I closing on? Probably is not as many as I'd like, but uh, the return on that seven grand is probably still pretty big. Like for instance, um, you know, $7,000 is probably gets me two properties, one that I might wholesale, one that I might flip. Okay. Right. So, so the return is still, still I, I would spend, I would spend the seven grand every month. No problem. If things are going the way they're going now, as a matter of fact, I'm probably going to be upping that a little bit once yeah. I hire an acquisition manager. And you just so hit the same areas every month. Is that right? Same areas. So what I do is when I hit that last postal code, it just, recycles back and starts all over again so it's six all weeks later cons- four weeks later yeah, yeah. It, it differs but it's it's uh, the the thing about this type of business is consistency right because i know right. a lot of guys oh i'm in a wholesale and they spend five or six grand so, oh i got you know a bunch of leads but i didn't buy anything so it's not worth it well you got to be consistent right because yeah. you never know when that buyer is ready ready to, to to sell right and also having something catchy like the referral fee on there yeah, well. but it's consistent. You got to consistently do it. You can't stop. Like you're going to get, I mean, you may have some months that you don't get many leads and maybe you only bought one property and you may get the next month where you end up buying two or three. 
So, I mean, at the end of the year, it all averages out, but you've yeah. got to be consistent or it's not going to work for you. All right. Now walk me through your screening. Like when you start screening out these, these calls, you know, yeah. somebody calls you, Hey, I saw your letter. I, yeah. I want so, to sell my house. <laughs> so part of my screening process is how long they've lived there is a really good indicator. When yeah. do they buy this property? Um, I try to get a number from them up front on, you know, what would they sell their property for if they didn't have to go through real estate agent, they didn't have to fix anything. They could leave all their, I mean, do they have a number in mind? Some of them won't tell you. Some of them actually do. Um, but a really good indication for me is, is how long. So for instance, if I got 10 leads and, and five of them, you know, they say, yeah, we bought this house a year and a half ago and the other five bought the house 20 years ago. Well, which ones Mm -hmm. am I going to concentrate on? The ones that bought them 20 years ago, right? The ones that bought them a year and a half ago, I can't see much value in them unless they're really, really desperate because they already bought in a market where they're paying good money for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, more than likely they're probably going to want a little bit of equity. So you're into MLS prices. And that's the case. Every time I screen them, that is the case. They're very close to MLS prices. So my biggest indicator first is, is length of time that they've owned the property. That's a big indicator for me, right? So then I know exactly which ones I'm going to screen first and I get to those other five last. So I want to hit those other. And the other thing is, is important is, is responding to these leads. I actually try to answer those calls as soon as they come in. Like really, really important, right? Because the call from the office will get forwarded to my phone when it comes through that website automatically. Now, if I can't, I can't. I'll get back right. to it really, really quick. But really important to get on the phone with those with those customers immediately. I mean, I've literally been on the four hundred, gotten a phone call, gone to the seller appointment, been there like an hour and a half later, and ended up buying the house at that right that day, right at that moment. Because I'm always prepared with paperwork and my checks. So I've got everything with me. I don't want to. I don't want the next person to. I come in and buy the house. I don't need anybody to come and do a home inspection or any of this. I do it yeah. all myself when I'm there. So, so you I can just come in with your paperwork and you just fill it out by hand. Right I'm, I'm ready to buy. I mean, the last house I bought, the guy says, well, how quickly can we sign a contract? And I says, well, how quickly can you find me a pen? I'll do it right yeah. now. So uh, yeah. that, that's really important where other people yeah. may you know, have 24 hour or 40 hour period or whatever, which is still not bad, but I'm, I'm ready to buy a house right then and there. Uh, because I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm doing my own inspection right away. And, um, I've seen, I, I know what to look for Yeah, and I know what the property values are. So especially in the area that I'm servicing. So I literally always have paperwork ready for with me, checks ready with me at all times. Cause I don't want to miss an opportunity. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good lesson. Don't, don't waste, uh, don't waste the opportunity. And I just, uh, I figured I'd share my, my story cause the first time I sent out flyers, I had, uh, it just coincidentally that they, they went out and my dog was in the hospital and it was the, yeah. like, it was a week and a half before my wedding and talk about terrible timing. Cause I didn't have an assistant. My phone was just blowing up and I'm in there like with the vet and you know, my, we thought our dog was going to die. Uh, fortunately he's fine, but, uh, it was, uh, not ideal. And I just remember how many I didn't even get back to it. It got to this yeah. point where I'm like, I literally can't respond to these people. I kind of yeah. underestimated, um, what the response would be. And I think after that, a lot of people also hit that area and then, and then the response kind of went way, way down in future times. I, I, uh, hit that area. So, um, but like you said, you gotta be consistent. You gotta, you gotta just oh, keep you going. You gotta be consistent. Your, your response time has to be like immediate because there'll be somebody else behind you trying to, and, yeah. and you know what? And you have to have a bit of a personality as well. I mean, I ended up buying up one of the houses up in North Barry and we sold very quickly as well in multiple offers. We renovated that one. But I, when I talked to her later on, 
um, why she sold it to me because she was, I seen the cards of the other people that actually, mm-hmm. um, she contacted and I mean, I know them. Um, I knew every single one of them and, and the offers are very, very similar. Um, cause she actually showed them to me, but, uh, I said, why did you go with me? And she says, I just couldn't stand the other two guys. <laughs> it's true. If, so, if, if you're, if you're full of it, if you're not, if you're not transparent, yeah. you seem like you can't be trusted. You're not and, transparent. Yeah. yeah. She says one of them came in there and he was cocky and he was telling them, you know, why are, you know, basically your house is falling apart and this is all it's worth. And I guess she didn't like that, but yeah. I went in there and they had their dog all of a sudden, you know, I'm friendly with the dog and yeah. they offer me a coffee and we're having a nice little chit chat. And, you know, I'm telling them how nice your house looks, you know, considering, you know, what they've gone through and everything else. And they end up selling the house to me. Yeah. Right? So I always, I always, um, offer my sellers as well to come back once we finish renovation to actually look at the property that they sold us. Oh, right? yeah, a lot of them, yeah. A lot of them really, really love that where I'll keep pictures and I'll show it to them. But anytime I'm finished the project, I'll call them up and say, Hey, house is ready. Come and have a look at the house you sold us. And a lot of them really like that. That's really cool. Um, what do you, what do you find as being the main motivation when they do sell to you? Like the ones that like you, you hear it in the, the phone call before you go see them and you go see them. What, where do you see that motivation, uh, to sell it with you, uh, beyond just your personality? Uh, yeah, you know, well, yeah, forget the personality. I, I think the biggest motivators I've seen is, is the house is falling apart. Number one, uh, I think they've realized that they don't have the money to spend, uh, they want to get out. I've had other situations where, um, you know, the couples are separating and the house does need work and they just don't want to go through a real estate agent um, or they're moving. Um, they found a place elsewhere. They want to get out quickly. They don't want to deal with agents. Some of them actually are not comfortable. See, I probably lose deals because I'm pretty transparent. And when I visit a seller, I always, I don't know why, and some people tell me I'm nuts. I always like to tell them, you know, if you've got the time and the patience and you want to deal with a realtor, you're going to get more money than I'm going to give you because this is what I do. and This is high profit, right? Literally, I'm going to put the house on MLS after I spend the money. So I'll tell them, listen, if, if you want to spend 80K in your house, you're going to make this amount of money. Yeah. So, and a lot of them will just say, no, no, I don't want to bother. But for some reason, I, I, I have this habit of, sort of giving people other options. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why, but oh, it's smart. Yeah. Uh, but I always do that. You know, I always give them an option, especially if, you know, like a lot of these sellers that they've bought a year and a half ago. I mean, I'll still call every single one of them up. Uh, we, they won't be the first ones I'll call up. But the first thing I'll tell them is, listen, you bought the house a year and a half ago. I mean, unfortunately, by the time I give you an offer, it's not going to be an offer you're going to like, but it's an offer that it's the only way I can profit because it's what I do for a living. So my suggestion is if you've got the time, you're not in a hurry, you're not in any financial difficulty, put your house on MLS, you're going to sell yeah. it, but you're not going to have an issue. And a lot of them actually call me back and, and say, you know what, I really appreciate your honesty and you know that's what we did and we did sell the house. And, or a house that's done up to the nines. I mean, you know, I like those ones where when did you buy your house? Three years ago. How much work does it need? None. Completely renovated from top to bottom. Are you in a hurry to sell? No. Why are you calling me? <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah, you do don't, thing. you don't need me because yeah. you, I already know I'm not going to buy that property. Yeah. You're just going to waste your time. I had a guy call me up and he had a uh, property. He, uh, property he sold or he bought earlier the, in the same year. 
And yeah. uh, he says, well, I want to know what you'll give me. I'm like, I'm not your guy. I'm going to make profit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then when you give them a number, they think you're crazy. So I'd rather just be up front and tell them, you know what, it's, it, yeah. it's not going to work for me. And I do tell them in, in the ads yeah. that, I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to buy every single house because it's not going to work for both of us. Right. Yeah. Some of them will, some of them won't. Yeah. Um, so do you try and weed them out over the phone without going to see the property? Yes, I do. So, I mean, I do my due diligence. I pull up the address. I pull up, uh, I pull up all the original listings from when they buy it to try to figure out and pinpoint a number in that house, give them a call, go through, you know, like a good 20 minute conversation, get a good feel for, you know, why they want to sell it. Are they moving? Um, do they, you know, is it, is it because the house is falling apart? So I try to pull out as much information as possible. Right. And when I have that, and I sort of have a number in my mind already on what I think that property is worth, I'm not going to run out. I usually try to get a number from them, and mm-hmm. and and sometimes I'll tell them, listen, um, you know, based on our information, and I may be able to pay you more. Um, you know, I think this is what your house is worth, right? So, I mean, if I give them that number, and all of a sudden they're they got this wacky, oh, you're out of your mind. I mean, I need a hundred G's. I know yeah. I'm wasting my time, right? But uh, I mean, most of them don't say that. They'll just say, no, it's not what I want. Um, but the funny thing is I love the, I love the, the sellers that did you, do you, you know what you would sell your house for if, you know, if I buy it, no questions asked, you choose your own closing, you know, no inspections, no showings, no nothing. No, I don't have any idea. But as soon as you give them a number and they say, Oh, that's way too low. I'm like, well, you just told me you didn't have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you know that's too low? <laughs> yeah. They say he who speaks first loses. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at, at uh, after conversation of trying to figure out what they want for the property. So I know whether yeah. I'm wasting my time or not. Either that or, again, going back to when they bought the property, how nice the property is. I already know whether I'm wasting my time or not. And I, yeah. I usually, I don't tell people, you know, I'm not wasting my time. I, I tell them I don't want to waste their time. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, you just bought your house. You know, it's not a house for me. I don't want to waste your time because I am in a business of profiting. So, you know, in most cases, I may not be able to pay you what you paid a year and a half ago. Would that, yeah. would that be a good scenario for you? And they say, well, no, of course not. Well, it's not the house for me. Yeah. So when you're, when you're going and valuing a house, are, can you give me an example of one that you've bought, what you saw, you know, when you looked at it, what you saw you'd need to do mm-hmm. and, and what you offered on the house, mm-hmm. knowing what it would be worth. Yeah, if you, have, you have one yeah. you can think of? Yeah. So I, I, I went and I offered on one that was 335. I okay. knew that after a $70,000 renovation, uh, that house was going to be worth in a high fives. Okay. So like a 575 house. Um, so that was a well worth house buying and I did buy it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm chasing the bigger profit margins. Um, you know, my exit yeah. strategy is always, you know what, if the market crashes and I sell and I get out of my house and I don't lose any money, that's still a good deal. Right. I mean, that's right. Never, it's, it's never happened. Um, so, so three thirty five. What did you get for three thirty five? Bungalow? No, it was a two story. Two story house. Uh, it was a two story corner brick house. Uh, Northbury. Northbury. Yeah, sounds Northbury. like a good deal. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it was so, a good deal. Yeah. So three thirty five plus seventy thousand. Yeah, we uh, probably ended up spending seventy thousand as original figure. I think we ended up spending ninety. Okay. On that house. And that's valuable information to know, yeah, you know, because yeah. we're not always right, right? We have an idea of what something's going to cost and then unknowns come up. You always have no. the budget for that, right? And I always sort of throw a 10% contingency at least in my head every single time when I'm, you know, looking at a project. Mm-hmm. So, this is always up for scenes. Absolutely. Um, so, so you at, at 90,000, 
it looks like you made about 150,000, but that we didn't factor land transfer cost. Yeah. Legal fees, and commis- commissions, commissions. And, and, and all that stuff. So on that so, particular property, I think I came out like with 115. Okay. So, so $35,000 and all that uh, legals, yeah. land transfer uh, yeah, commissions. commissions and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And um, what, what is it that you set in your mind? Do you, do you set like, I want at least a hundred K profit and no, or are you no, saying even higher than that? No, it doesn't have to be a hundred K profit. I mean, usually when I go into a property, I, I, I like to come out, I like to look at it and say, you know what, if I spend X amount of dollars, can I at least make, you know, $70,000 profit on it? Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, a lot of times I end up making more, uh, but I always low, but I always lowball it. Uh, I just don't want to go in and, and look at a property and say, well, the profit margin of this thing is going to be 40 grand. That's too much of a risk for me in a flip. I agree. Because, let's face it. Flipping properties. I mean, a lot of people say it's real estate investing. It's not investing. I mean, that's not it's real estate. Investing. It's, it's, it's speculation, right? Mm-hmm. Cause we know what the market is like today. I mean, you don't know what the market's going to be when that house gets on the market, right? Things could change in, in, in a flash. We, yeah. we don't know that. So it's very highly speculative. So mm-hmm. you always have to have that exit strategy of, you know, what's the worst case scenario? If the house drops, you know, 10% or can I still get out of it? I, mean, yeah. I don't want to lose money selling a, a flip and I never have. Um, but I always look at at least coming out with 70 grand. Now, if I'm doing a million dollar property, I'm not going to obviously look at a 70 grand property. Right. Right? I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's got to be a couple hundred grand. Right. Uh, but I tend on the average homes that I'm buying, these first time home buyers to, to try to at least, uh, see a $70,000, you know, profit margin. In it. Okay. So when you came up with three thirty-five, how'd you come up with that number? Cause that obviously you were targeting closer to, you know, about 135 profit and you came out with one fifteen. Yeah. Well, I, I'm also taking into consideration, uh, yeah, I came at one fifteen. Um, I got a little bit lucky on that one because basically it was it was worth more than three thirty five at the time, like even off market. Yeah, and it was just a number that I hit the guy with because uh, I was willing to go at least three sixty, and that was three sixty five. Yeah, that's what I was trying right. to get at. You know, you don't start right. at your your top no, line. You start. No, and and I'm like, you know what? I'm 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 going to pay three sixty five for this house. So when I went in and I told the guy, you know, how does three thirty five sound? And the first thing he says, that sounds great. When can you do it? I'm like, okay. Well, and you're like, crap, I should have offered 300 even. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard yeah, to be so, upset about that deal. No, it's, it's very hard to be upset with, with that deal. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, try to, I try to look at a $70,000 profit margin on the first time average buyer home. Uh, the stuff okay. that I'm buying. So then next, uh, next question is your typical acquisition like that. Is that typically going to be a JV for you? Or do you have a no. base of capital that you're just, you're closing no. in cash? When it comes to the flips, I'm closing hundred percent in cash and I have money lenders, private money lenders, uh, not even B lenders, but private individuals with money that loan me their money. Uh, it's very simple for me just because I've built relationships over yep. the years. So I could basically call someone and say, uh, Hey Joe, I just bought a property. You need need five hundred k. No, there's no questions asked with my people because we built that relationship. They don't yeah. ask me where the house is or can I get an appraisal. It's so basically what I do is I pay them nine percent mm-hmm. uh, interest, straight interest on their money. Um, yeah. And but I guarantee in six months, okay, uh, min- minimum. So I mean, and I've been out of projects three, four months, and sometimes earlier, and I've still guaranteed them six months. Like for instance, the okay. flips that I did. The flips that I did that I made big money without lifting the paintbrush, I still used my lenders because I didn't know I was going to do that. I, ne- I, I don't, I don't want to depend on flipping that property without fixing it. So I always go in there with the, 
I close on the property as if we're going to renovate it and we put it back on the market. And literally most of these properties from the day I closed to the day we reclosed, mm-hmm. probably five weeks, they still got paid six months. So they're happy. <laughs> well, extremely happy. Their next question is when's the next one? Yeah. <laughs> right. But you know what? I find that works for me because a lot of investors say, Oh, you're freaking crazy. You're going to pay these guys. He says, you know what? I'll pay them six months because I think, I mean, I'm profiting. I think everyone should profit. And guess what? When I need the funds again, they're not going to second guess me. They're going to say, sure, we'll just send the paperwork to the lawyer. So yeah. you build that relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I've done so, the same. I've actually yeah. done, done, done the exact same. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's actually a fantastic model. And it totally, you're right. It totally relies on trust and relationship. Oh, 100%. Um, people need to really trust the person that you are and the integrity that you have and, and what you're going to do. They have to know that you know what you're doing. And uh, clearly you do, right? You've got your hands in this. Um, you're clearly quite uh, sharp and you know, you know your numbers. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's impressive. Yeah, and plus their, their, their money is secured on, pro- on property that we're mm-hmm. buying below market value. Yeah. And it's funny because I have uh, one investor who's uh, you know, joking around when they sell a man, man I'd, lo- I'd love you to forfeit on this house. <laughs> <laughs> because you know we bought a house for a certain amount of money that's probably worth a hundred grand more uh, than what we borrowed from him, right? So just as a joke, so their money is always secured because they do go. Uh, they they there's a registered mortgage, uh, you know, registered on the property lien for the amount that you know we're buying that property for, or in most cases the property and the renovation money. But yeah, I guarantee six months regardless of when I close. Of course, obviously we've got some major renovations that have gone seven, eight months. They're getting paid for that, of course. But we've had renovations that have been in and out in three months, four months, two and a half months. They're still getting paid six months, and I think they should. Uh, I mean, if you're profiting from it, I mean, your money lenders also have to profit. I mean, you got to keep everybody happy, keep the money rolling. Yeah, it makes, absolutely. It makes a big difference because I know there's a lot of uh, flippers out there who uh, advertise and say, oh, well, my guy just made three grand for, you know, three grand a month for three months and just made $9,000. And I think to myself, that's great. He probably would have made double with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pay him six months. <laughs> fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So I uh, want to shift gears a little bit and uh, yeah, just get your take. Like what, what have you seen change? Obviously uh, the whole virus lockdown uh, situation, you know, how's that affected your business rental renovation um, flipping? The uh, flipping side of it has been, has been the most profitable during COVID-19. One of the reasons is the lack of inventory on the market. So anything that's decent on the market, I mean, as we know, is getting multiple offers. So our stuff skyrocketed uh, during COVID-19. On the renovation side of things, yeah, things slowed down. We were actually closed down for, I guess, just over two months, two and a half months without being able to do anything because a lot of projects we had hadn't been issued permits. So if you hadn't had that permit, you couldn't move on. Um, So that hurt a little bit. Again, going back to the renovation side of things, things move a little bit slower because of suppliers. Yeah, um, I mean, suppliers are having difficult time keeping up with stuff. And, and one of the reasons is not because there's, not, there's no supplies, mm-hmm. is because renovations have skyrocketed as well during COVID-19. That backyard rentals and pools and decks yeah. have gone crazy because people are now saying, you know what, if this is going to be the next norm, they want to be able to enjoy their yeah. properties. I mean, tr- even trying to get pressure-treated lumber. I, I was at a, a local uh, home hardware the other day where a guy came from Sudbury to buy all the pressure-treated lumber from the whole harbor because he couldn't get any pressure-treated lumber up there. They were completely out. Yeah, I went through the same thing, actually, on the townhouse project I'm building. Had to had to clean out a store in Sarnia. I uh, couldn't yeah. get it from the, the regular supplier. So yeah. uh, 
yeah, it's a problem with pavers on a job that we're doing uh, yeah. because the factory could only make half the pavers we need because they actually make them there. Okay. Now we're waiting for them to stamp the next ones and because they said they're running at half capacity. Right. So it's, it's difficult to, to keep up. So that was really difficult. And even some of the stuff that we were doing throughout the shutdown where we really had permits was really slow because I mean, you're ordering stuff from home mm-hmm. Depot. We were waiting up to a week to get orders ready for pickup. Right. So things really slow down that way, but the flipping side and the home buying side, the, that was going crazy because anything we bought and put back on the market, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's face it, it. It went for more than, than what I thought it was going to sell for. And you were still getting a lot of off-market leads all the same? Still getting off-market leads, yeah. So that didn't really change much? No, no. The, okay. mar- the, the leads were actually pretty consistent regardless all the way through. You know, I had to change mm-hmm. our market a little bit about telling people about, you know, wearing masks and all that stuff. And, and then we came up with uh, uploading all the pictures on the website that I didn't have on there so that we can basically try to give them a number without going to the property. Right. Well, we yeah, get to, them to do a virtual tour or something or a video yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah we, we had to adapt a little bit there. And uh, I actually, on some of them, I actually had um, a couple of Zoom calls mm-hmm. uh, where they'd walk around with their phone in their house showing me their property, um, you know, putting offers in that way. So we had to adapt whichever way we could. Uh, but no, that, that side of it was extremely busy. And it's still, like, even mm-hmm. right now, like, Properties right now are nuts. Like the offers that are on property, even in Hamilton. I mean, I got a friend of mine who's an agent out there, and uh, he just sold a house for five fifty-five. Typical Hamilton bungalow that still needs a hundred k work to do a second suite, and they got five hundred fifty-five thousand dollars for it after eighteen offers. I mean, these are homes we were buying for four hundred thousand not that long ago. Man, so it's it's nuts. It's nuts. It very much is. So, so real opinion question now, (laughs) how do you see us coming out of this under the current economic system, all the shutdown? I don't know. Um, I, I sort of, I'm the type of guy that sort of tries not to focus on media and what's going on and just carry on using my own gut feeling. Right. I mean, we still got a housing crisis in Canada. Now I know with COVID-19, I don't know what the immigration numbers are going to be, you know, now going forward. Uh, right. So, so that's also a factor. Um, but you know what, let's face it. Interest rates are low. I know I had somebody a while back saying, Oh, you shouldn't buy any properties or sell any properties now. I says, why not? Oh, you know, people on CERB, you know, making two grand a month, you know, and I'm like, you know what, those people that are on CERB, are going to buy property anyway. Most of them or a lot of yeah. those. That's not the client I'm after the client buying this first time house doesn't give a rat's ass about the CERB. He's, he's got money or he's got a good job or he's going back to a job. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So, so these are the type of people that, that we're looking at, but we just don't know. Right. I mean, right now, uh, inventory is low everywhere. So you've got yeah. multiple offers everywhere. But one thing I do see is I see a bit of a shift into people who own condos, um, trying to buy single family homes. So I think that's also creating a little bit of a surge in the market, especially with COVID-19, you're stuck in your little tiny condo for two months, three months. Yeah. You know, you got people sitting back saying, and I know some of them, they're saying, you know what? I'm selling this thing. I want a house. I want a backyard because if this is going to be a norm, I want to be able to get out and have my own space and have my own deck. Right. And, and people in condos can't do that. Right. Um, so I think that's created a little bit of yeah. a shift there as well. Yeah. Two, two things that you said I really want to focus on is, is one, uh, well, the one is just looking at, uh, our market. We, we are, we're still in a housing crisis, as you said, um, both demand and supply fell, but it looks like mm. supply fell more. So, yeah. so we're still in the exact same spot. Um, and I guess the other thing is kind of just something I, I had on my, my mind, but it's not going to get any cheaper um, under our current oh. economic system to build a house. 
with the no, current tax not. structure, structure, current regulations, all the costs, the government costs and regulations and the inefficiencies that are baked into the numbers yeah. of building aren't going anywhere. In fact, and they're probably getting worse. And trades. Tra- trades are getting yeah. more expensive. I mean, yeah. I think Canada from my last, uh, yeah. I, I was reading up the other day, like we're short, like close to a million tradespeople in Canada alone. Yeah, and and if you really want to get abstract, I really think that that's that goes back to our, our school system is really not promoting that. No, uh, it's, it's not. not glamorized to get into trades. We need no. people. Nobody wants people to put wanting that to get into trades. No, they're 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 not into that. I mean, the school system. Let's let's face it. Is is. The school system's got a lot of problems, right? And number one, we don't, be growing. We, we, don't, we don't teach our young people financial literacy. They, they, they teach entitlement. Like, they teach yeah, entitlement. Uh, yeah, basically, they, that's, uh, that's what they're doing now. It's, it's teaching entitlement. Uh, I mean, a lot of these young people want everything that a lot of us older people have, but they don't realize what we've gone through to get yeah. it, right? It just didn't, wasn't handed down to us. But no, tradespeople is a problem, a huge problem. And, and I think that's why, too, there's a lot of guys out there who call themselves contractors, but they're not. I mean, they got a hammer in a toolbox and they're out there just screwing jobs up for customers. And mm-hmm. I see it all the time. We've taken over projects out in Hamilton. We've actually taken on projects after months after bidding on that same project and not getting it because we were yeah. more expensive. Right? right. I've probably done that about four times now in city Hamilton um, yeah. where we've been on jobs, didn't get them. And a few months later, the client's coming back saying, you know, please help us. The guy's gone or he screwed us up or he took our money or, mm-hmm so on and so forth. I've got one client right now in St. Catharines that I did his job in, in Hamilton, loved it, bought a second suite in St. Catharines, priced it. Mm-hmm. And he says, Manny, I really want to use you because we had a really great relationship, fantastic job, done on time. Okay, so what's the problem? The problem is this guy is $20,000 less than you. And I says, well, that is a problem. But I told him, that's not a problem for me. I says, that's going to be a problem for you. <laughs> I can tell you right now, because my, I don't have a $20,000 profit margin. I says, I can tell you right now, if you haven't done your due diligence, actually, I think it was a $25,000 difference. I says, you're going to have, you're going to have a problem. So just make sure the person you're using is the one you want yeah. to do your job. Long story short, you got that guy to do the job. Job is totally screwed up. Like he's been on me for two weeks now to try and come out to St. Catharines to, to quote him to take over the job. And I've had to tell him nicely a couple of times I'm not doing it because I'm not going out to St. Catharines anymore. And yeah. uh, he was kind of annoyed saying, yeah, but you originally priced it. I said, I did. You didn't give it to me. And now I've decided we're not servicing St. Catharines. I'm servicing yeah. up to Hamilton only because that's what I can service efficiently. And if I can't service a town efficiently, I'm not going to take on the job. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, he's got to find some. I feel bad for him, but he's got to find someone else. And um, I mean, I've got another horror story from another client and it cost him huge money in the end uh he didn't go with me because i was i think around same thing about 20 grand more in the end it cost him seventy thousand dollars more yeah because i literally had to re-gut this entire job that was completely done not to code inspections weren't done mm-hmm. and it cost him an extra 50 grand because they did a yeah. ton of damage in the house so, yeah, that's a that's a challenge. I've, yeah. I've had a I've had a friend ask me to consult for him on a house build, and you know, tell him you know, basically align who to work, who to have the work, you know, do the work, and I make my recommendations. These are the people I trust. I know will do a good job. No, no, this guy's three grand cheaper. The damage caused by that guy was probably at least ten grand plus months of inefficiency. Yeah. No, it's uh, crazy. I mean, some of them I don't blame. I mean, they just they just don't know. It's maybe it's their first yeah. investment property. It's a lot of money. They're scared. I mean, they see a price for a hundred grand. They see a price for sixty five or seventy. I'm like, oh, you know, I, I can't do that hundred G's because I don't have the money. Yep. 
but in the end, they could, uh, you know, if they don't do their due diligence and, and, and you know, vet their contractors properly, um, they could be in the trouble. I mean, but I mean, as a, co- as a contractor myself, uh, I also vet my customers. Yeah. <laughs> right? There are customers that I will not work for. Right? I just get a bad vibe from the beginning and I just tell them I'm too busy. Uh, it's yeah. got to be, it's got to go both ways, right? Absolutely. And that's really smart. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta weed out the ones that you don't want to work with. And oh yeah, hundred percent. And the ones that only care about price, they're not going to be the, the right client for you. No, you want the ones not. that want it done they're right. Not. They're not. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that's awesome, Manny. Wow. You've, you've shed a lot of light on a lot of subjects here and uh, well, I'm no, sure there's a little more stuff to talk about. It just, oh yeah. We can never, go on. It's never, it's never ending, right? We could go it's on. We'll, we'll do an update at some point. Um, yeah, but sure. uh, if people want to reach out to you or if they just want to follow you, uh, what's the best way? Well, if they, I post most of my stuff to Facebook and I usually do it under my own name. It's, I do have a Primo Reno Facebook and a Primo Investment Properties Facebook, but I find that I'm posting most of my stuff to my own Facebook and they can find me uh, Manuel Cabral on, on Facebook. Okay. Um, so they can find me there. And I, I like to do that because people get a sense of my personal life and my business life altogether. So you get, you yeah. want people to really know you. I think that's important. It's and people I, and people, right? I, yeah. And I meet up with a lot of people that start, you know, Hey, I, you know, I've been following you on Facebook and you know, I feel like I, you know, I've known you for years because I post everything on mm-hmm. there. So, and I do Instagram as well. So if they want to follow me on Facebook, sure. it's, it's Emmanuel Cabral. They'll find me on there. Uh, if they want to visit my website, primoreno.ca, okay. uh, you can also email me on that. And if they want to check out my simcohousebuyers.ca website, uh, just to see what that's all about, they can go on sure. there as well. Yeah, I'll and, put uh, those in the in the description. I'll put your uh, your handles there, and yeah. Uh, yeah, make sure people can uh, can see what you're up to. So, yeah. uh, any parting wisdom? You know, so, uh, you're a guy that's very well established. You you seem like you're constantly leveling up. Some advice for our intermediate investors that want to level up. I think the biggest advice I could give someone is is don't give up. Like quitters don't get anywhere. And I understand it's very easy to do that. Like uh, I had a friend who lost uh, a lot of money on his first flip and he said, I'm done. I'm like, why? He says, well, because I lost a lot of money. And I says, well, that's probably, that's probably the best uh, educational money you've spent. Uh, so, I mean, you should have learned from your tens of thousands of dollars in mistakes. Like what did you do wrong? Can you learn from me? He said, well, yeah, I did this and this and this and this and that. I said, well, why would you give up? Because now you've educated yourself on the mistakes you've made and you move on to the next one. And, and like, let's face it, every multimillionaire out there or billionaire is, 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 has made tons of mistakes. A lot of them have gone bankrupt, uh, but they're persistent. They don't give up. They don't have excuses. So, I mean, if you want to really be successful in life, um, don't give up. Like making mistakes. A lot of people don't get into things because they're worried about making a mistake, right? And if you're going to be worried about making a mistake, you're not going to achieve what you want to achieve in life. Like mistakes are there to be made. I make mistakes all the time, right? But from my mistakes, they're also a learning experience. So what did I do wrong? How can I fix that the next time? Yeah. Right. But if you want to get somewhere, like don't be afraid of making a mistake. Don't be afraid of losing money. Um, get up there and make it happen. There's a way to make it happen. If you want to achieve something, you can achieve it. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Right. I always tell people the only one stopping you from doing something is yourself. Absolutely. Nobody, nobody else. M- mistakes. Mistakes are only mistakes. If you do it twice, mistakes yes. just once are tuition. Yes. <laughs> or, or speak to someone who's made your mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mistakes and mentors. Right Those are the ways you yes. learn. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But you can't so, be afraid to do that. So Manny, did you get some business off of that uh, cover you posted? You saw you posted a couple of covers there on Facebook. Which covers? 
I forget which one. You had a couple playing your guitar and singing, right? Oh, I just do that for fun. You know what? I was doing that for the, uh, for charity for the Barry, uh, it's called the Barry live music show. Okay. Right. And they raise, they're raising money for, for different charities, uh, up, up in Barry. So they're always bugging me to post something. That's the reason I posted that. But now they got in touch with me last week and they want me to do a one hour live Facebook music session. Like, like, I don't have time guys. What do you, uh, what do you like to play? It seems like a little bit of a more classic rock kind of thing. I I play a lot of classic rock stuff. I mean, I like so much music, you know, rock, soft rock, uh, you know, Elvis, Eagles, Blue Rodeo, um, all that type of stuff. Nice. I'm into, I'm into a lot. I've got too many hobbies. You know, one is music. One, one is boating. The other one is flying RC aircraft. Uh, which I okay. do. I mean, I've got my private pilot's license. I haven't actively uh, flown in probably four years because I had a bit of a neck issue with a disc and it wasn't comfortable flying in a 172 with the way my neck was. And I never went back, yeah. but uh, I often tell myself I've got too many hobbies and not enough time for them. <laughs> yeah. Get, it sounds, yeah. it sounds like you got your hands into a lot of things, but uh, yeah, for sure. I could say that, uh, that the music that you were playing sounds great. And oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, appreciate thanks that. for sharing it. Um, anyways, I uh, won't take up any more of your time. Really appreciate this. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Manny. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. I'll do it anytime. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.